Um, consumer confidence in next season it seems to be through the roof. You have tuned in to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. Season passes are an important element of mountain resorts business. For the second spring in a row, we are faced with figuring out how the pandemic will impact this revenue stream. On this episode of PodSAM, we talk with resort operators about how they're approaching their 2021-22 season pass sales and how this season is informing their approach. We'll discuss season pass and lift ticket sales, usage trends from this season, and how those trends can inform decisions about products, pricing, and messaging. We'll also explore the state of consumer confidence and spending and how those can help shape strategies for selling 2021-22 products now. We'll start the discussion here with Sam publisher, Olivia Rowan. Thanks everybody for joining us today on the Monday Huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, the publisher of Sam Magazine, and I'll be joined today by senior editor, Dave Meeker and associate editor, Sarah Wojcik, and a virtual panel of op- uh, operators and experts. We will introduce them as we go along. Um, so today's topic is season pass strategies. Um, in this title, we're going to talk to, uh, with resort operators about how they're approaching the 2021-22 uh, season pass sales and how this season is informing uh, that approach. Season passes, as we know, are an important element of mountain resort business, and we are once again in uncharted territory facing a second spring now of figuring out how the pandemic is impacting this important revenue stream. So we're huddling, um, and we'll discuss the season pass and the season passes from our different operators on the call today, lift ticket sales and usage trends from the season, and how those trends can inform decisions about products, pricing, and messaging. We'll also explore with Tom Foley some of the consumer confidence and spending and how these can help shape your strategies for selling um, these products. One of the things we've learned from these huddles is that the outcomes of this season vary greatly from resort to resort. Um, So we're excited to have a panel that represents a variety of voices and situations. Um, so, as we said, the season, uh, season pass strategies is our topic, and to kick us off, Tom Foley, uh, who is the Senior Vice President for Business Operations and Analytics for Intopia, will share some insights um, and comment on the state of things. Some of you may or may not remember, we did a season pass huddle um, back on April 27th last year um, when we were shell-shocked and trying to figure things out, and we sort of dived into the the landscape at that point with Tom. So um, we thought it'd be interesting to check back in with Tom. We have, we know a lot more. Um, we're not quite a deer in the headlights and um, we have data and a season behind us. We actually have two, we have the summer and the winter. So Tom, um, share a little bit about um, what you, trends you are seeing. Sure, happy to do so. And thank you for having me, uh, both of you. I'm really interested in what this conversation brings about today as far as season passes go. Tom shared a presentation with the data and graphs he referenced during this conversation. You can view it at www.saminfo.com slash huddle. I just want to tee up the economy and where things are going right now. Wall Street's still in a fantasy world. Uh, it's sitting at around 31,000 points. It does not reflect the consumer economy at all. Uh, we would expect that unemployment is going to be right around 6.2% for the month of February when that report comes out in a week or so. And consumer confidence is sitting right around line 1.3 points, which means that consumers are still in control of pretty much everything when they book, how they book. Uh, but it's also a great reflection of concerns around earning and concerns around employment and employment prospects. On the plus side, consumer con- consumers are feeling a little bit better about how the near-term future is going to look uh, as vaccines start to roll around. So there's been a nice correlation there. And unemployment has really been the big problem though. And new unemployment claims are still way too high. They're non-directional. For the last six months, you can see that that new claims are going up and down. There's no real pattern. There's nothing sitting in there other than to say that they're sitting at 200 or 730,000 new claims per week compared to a normal year uh, with over 80 million uh, unemployment claims, all new filings over the course of the last uh, just over one year, just under one year, uh, that would normally be about 11 million. And 9.2 million of the jobs that did exist in February of 2020 still don't exist. And probably uh, a, a large collection of those are not going to return as different versions of those jobs reemerge using technology and other things. 
and if we just take a look at a few things that are going to happen over the course of 2021 and the next couple of years economically, GDP is going to go, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 4 and 6.4% year over year, keeping in mind that that's going to be against 2020, which was a horrendous year. But it should restore to pre-pandemic levels by the end of this year, and that's helpful for us overall. That drives employment and trade and puts money in pockets. Uh, employment is probably going to be about 5.7% by the end of the year, and to pre-pandemic levels in 2024, that's not good for the consumer economy. And that 5.7% is a lost leader because there are a lot of people who simply are not looking for work and not counted as unemployed. And the actual unemployment rate is probably closer to 10% than 5.7%. Uh, inflation is uncertain. And the reason it's uncertain is there are 1.3 trillion extra dollars sitting underneath people's mattresses right now that they have saved in 2020. And that money is gonna make its way into the economy. And anytime that happens, prices go up. Uh, if it does make its way into the economy, that can be problematic if it comes in too quick and inflation does turn into problems for everybody. Uh, but that discretionary spending is going to go upward and onward. Uh, the question is whether or not it's gonna be perilous to us as that extra dollars makes it into the economy. Uh, so what are the booking expectations? Quick throw out to mother nature. Uh, snow, we've, over the course of the last you know, eight weeks, we've seen a lot of snow in the West. It's shown up where there were a lot of dry areas in, in some of the Southern areas of the Rockies particularly, and in the Northeast, they've got a beautiful blanket that's been falling consistently for the course of the last, well, since really the beginning of January. Uh, and that's all good and helps drive some of the numbers we're gonna take a look at here. One of the things that we've learned and that might be helpful as you think about what you're going to do in 2021 and beyond uh, is to think about caseloads and how they are an indicator of short lead bookings. Where we've got on the bottom of this in the blue, basically new cases going back to April of last year, the black line going through is booking demand for short lead bookings, arrivals that are coming in within 90 days. And there is an inverse relationship between new cases and how short lead arrivals work, particularly zero to 30 days. They're really what's driving those patterns in there. Long lead bookings have a slightly more direct relationship where um, when we see those things, uh, long caseloads go up, long lead bookings actually go up as people say, I'm going to punt down the road further down. So keep an eye on caseloads as you think about what you want to do with marketing. But this is the one that's probably got more um, uh, targeted intent to it. This is looking at vaccination rates in the green bars for first dose and the blue bars for second dose and bookings coming through the Entopia commerce system. And we have been watching this correlation take place. And it turns out when people are getting their first dose, they're feeling pretty comfortable about going out and travel as new first doses drop, new bookings drop a little bit. Um, part of this is gonna be impacted by as the season ages and the runway for the season runs out, but this is really important to keep in mind. I'm gonna come back to it in just a second. So where do we think cancellations and rebookings are going to go? We think they're going to settle down. This is looking at cancellations or rebookings as a percentage of all transactions of properties going back to March of 2020. They should fall into the 5% to 7% range. They're currently sitting at about 13.5%. That's much better than it's been in some points in the past, particularly as we headed in towards Christmas. And that huge volume was seeing one third of the reservations cancel or rebook. Uh, moving on, we would expect on the left-hand side, we've got year-over-year -year performance for absolute bookings. Again, this is through the Entopia Commerce System, so we're looking at about 1,700 properties and resort destinations around the country. And absolute bookings are, uh, are just slightly down a week ago uh, after several weeks of being up year-over-year, -year, uh, sorry, net. And net revenue on the right-hand side is going up year-over-year. Uh, -year. So what we're seeing more than anything is that the booking volume is there. The booking volume has been there for about eight weeks. Cancellation volume is coming down, and that's what's really getting us a few weeks of consistent year-over-year -year gains in bookings and gains in revenue. The uh, strong rates that we're seeing is what's making the revenue outperform the new bookings. Uh, we would expect that as cancellations to decline to continue to get into longer and longer streaks of gains in both bookings and revenue for the foreseeable future. And how are we looking at calling the season? Well, it's a little bit early as of the end of January because we don't have full data in from February yet. And February, March could be game changers. 
we know that March is going to overperform last year in April. Absolutely, it's going to overperform last year, but they have relative volume issues that come into play. So this is looking at year-over-year winter performance at mountain destinations versus the year prior to it. And over on the far right-hand side, we think that occupancy is going to end up down about 7.4% year-over-year. Um, the ADR is going to end up, our average daily rate, down about 2.1%, but revenue is going to be down about 25 26%. And that's because of the high dollar value that was lost earlier in the season. Um, so it, it's actually better than we were projecting. We were expecting to see down somewhere around 15 to 20% on occupancy and somewhere around 35% on revenue. So it's not a win, but it's better than it could have been. And just move on to uh, what that looks like in the long term. These lines represent going back to 2007-8, which was an old high watermark that we use as an index, how occupancy, ADR, and revenue have performed compared to that x-axis black line you see running through. And these declines that we're seeing are going to result in occupancy being down about 20% from where it was back in 2007-8, as well, in addition to the down from last year. Um, whereas room rate is going to be at about 29.7% more than where it was. Room rate has been incredibly strong and has managed to hang on. It's been a shining light over the course of the last really six or seven months. And the result will be a revenue gain compared to 2007-8, even though it's going to end up being down from last year. Um, but what are the opportunities? And I can't stress this enough. I, I want to hearken back to that vaccination slide that I showed you. And if you leave with nothing else from me, leave with this. Baby boomers, I think, are the biggest opportunity for the next you know, six to eight to 10 weeks of the season that remain, as well as going into the summer. The reason being they are creating vaccination bubbles. They have discretionary time. Their savings accounts have grown if they're invested at all in the markets over the course of 2020. They're ready to go, they're ready to travel, they have the discretionary income to spend, and they of course have the history and the longevity in the sport. They are after all the foundation of the sport. Uh, that as uh, vaccination ages come down will change from a baby boomers to the rescue to vaccinated to the rescue. But for now, I think this is the opportunity that we take away from everything. So uh, heading into summer, uh, I think we've got um, opportunities for a lot of growth. The data are kind of thin right now because of the prominence of short lead bookings as people are really cautious about making long-term commitments. We'll know a lot more at the end of March and we'll be happy to share that information with this group once we get hold of it. And uh, that, that wraps up sort of where the playing field sits going into the season. Nice. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you sharing that information. That's interesting. Um, so we are going to talk next with IndiePass founder, Doug Fish. Doug, thanks for joining us. Uh, now in its second season, the IndiePass is up to 63 partner resorts after Saddleback and Waterville Valley joined last week. Uh, pass holders get two days at each resort. Doug, uh, IndiePass has had a big sophomore season. Could you share with us some of the, the data that you have from this season about who is buying the Indy Pass, who's using it, their usage patterns, uh, perhaps some future plans for the past next season and whatever else you have. Thank you, Dave. Uh, before I uh, dive into some statistics here, I wanted to give everybody a, a, a brief overview of what the Indy Pass is all about. Um, we have three goals with the Indy Pass. One, to provide an affordable pass for day ticket buyers, for day trippers. Number two, to increase awareness for small to mid-sized independents. And number three, we want our payouts to exceed the average daily yield for each visit. Uh, we have a, a primary target audience of uh, casual skiers and riders. They actually make up about 75% of the market and they average four days per season. Uh, the other big target for us is young families uh, with kids and we have a, an aggressively priced kids ticket at $99 for uh, kids 12 and under. The IndyPass uh, itself is a cloud-based product. Um, uh, our, our pass holders redeem tickets using their driver's license. As you, as you mentioned, we have 63 resorts now each providing two days. 
we have two primary pass products, the Indie Pass and the Add-on Pass. The Add-on Pass uh, is discounted 30% for season pass holders at our partner resorts. It's priced at 129. The regular Indie Pass is 199. These are early season pricing. And both come uh, with an adult and a kid version. The kids pass is 99. And both also come with um, a regular version and a no blackout version, which we call the Indie Plus. And that's priced at 299. Uh, we launched a spring pass today uh, that's on sale for 149. And we'll be selling that for uh, about three and a half more weeks. 85% of all pass revenue is returned to our resort partners based on redemptions. Okay, uh, for all you data nerds, uh, I've got a bunch of uh, statistics here for you. This year, our sales, like you said, in our sophomore year have been really strong. We're up 750% over last year. Kids, our first uh, effort at a kid's pass, make up 15% of our past sales, not revenue, but they make up 17% of our redemptions which is contrary to what we expected. We thought the adults would uh, utilize more frequently than the kids, but it's been the opposite. Uh, the kids are out skiing and their parents are staying home. Our add-on pass is 8% of our sales, but only 5% of our usage, which makes sense. They've all invested in a season pass at their home resort where they get most of their days and they're using the Indy Pass as a travel pass. Adults make up 91% of our revenue. So that's, that's the, the biggest group, but they only make up 80% of our redemptions. So clearly there is some breakage with that product. Uh, we know that 10% of our pass holders also have either an Epic or an Icon pass. And another 16% of our pass holders have a single mountain season pass. So even though we created the pass and uh, for casual skiers and riders, and that's who we target, we're actually selling to about 25% of our pass holders are core participants. Another thing we found is that uh, the Indy Pass is not cannibalizing our, our partners' products. Less than 1% of Indy Pass holders substituted an Indy Pass this year for a pass product that they had last year of a partner resort. Redemptions, uh, we're gonna 10X last year. Uh, it looks like we're gonna be somewhere between 85 and 90,000 redemptions. 63% of those visits were weekends or holiday. And last spring, we offered um, a credit, uh, uh, 30 to 100% credit for people who did not use their pass due to COVID. And surprisingly, only 14% of those pass credits have been redeemed. So, you know, if you get a free pass, you don't use it as much as the one that you invested hard cash for. We pay out, so here's the statistic everybody's waiting for, I'm sure, our payouts. We pay out on a sliding scale. And this year, uh, our yield is going to come in somewhere between 55 and 60% of rack rate. That's holiday ticket price. The Indy Plus Pass, which is uh, the only way you can ski on a blackout day at four of our resorts, the yield is coming in at 100%. Our top 10 resorts are going to see between four and 6,000 visits. We have two kinds of resorts on the Indy Pass, day ski areas and destination resorts. And one trend that we're seeing is that the day areas near the large metros are feeding those destination resorts. Some examples, Trollhagen, Wisconsin, one hour from Twin Cities, 97% of their visits are from the local market, Wisconsin and Minnesota. On the other hand, Brundage Mountain, Idaho, which is two and a half hours north of Boise, only 18% of their visits are from Idaho and 36, per, or excuse me, the other 82% are from 36 other states. Uh, Pat's Peak, New Hampshire, an easy hour and a half from Boston. Uh, they're seeing 77% of their indie visits from the local market, New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Whereas Cannon Mountain, about 45 minutes farther on up the road, 
63% are from New Hampshire and Massachusetts, while 37% are from 27 other states. So what we learned in year two was a lot. We've got a ton of data that we're gonna be crunching, but um, we are planning an across the board price increase. We'll be on sale in June this year, which is three months earlier than uh, last year. We plan to expand blackout dates and we will place more emphasis on the Indy Plus Pass. And uh, we will continue to add resorts in all regions, including Canada. That's all good stuff. Thanks, Doug. And it's a good, you, you mentioned Pat's Peak. And so I, I do want to um, bring up Chris Blombach, GM of Pat's Peak. Um, thanks for joining us today, Chris. Um, so Chris, you're on the Indy Pass and you had shared with me that 60% of Indy Pass holders who have redeemed at Pat's Peak um, have never been to the resort before. Did you, can you tell us a little about who they are that you're seeing of that? new customer coming in? Sure. So we joined the Indy Pass in its uh, debut year last year. And, uh, you know, we had an incredible um, redemption rate on our first year with over 80% of our guests being new guests. We put a modifier on our point of sale system when somebody was coming in for an Indy Pass redemption. Just a simple question, had you ever skied Pat's Peak before? And we saw 80% were saying, nope, never skied it. And most people loved it. Uh, that, of course, has come back to normal a little bit this year, it's, but it's still 60% new, 40% have never visited us. And our increase in the amount of redemptions is probably, uh, Doug, you'd probably know better than I, but probably tenfold. And uh, we're, we're very happy with the, the overall pass product. And, you know, you, you never want any sort of... Um, promotion to cannibalize existing sales. And when we saw that in our first year that we were very happy with it. So. So, and, and tell me about um, your, your, your core season pass product that you launch every spring. What are your plans? Have you launched it um, yet? So this ski season is all about capacity management and we're more or less using date ticket sales, a variable formula for season pass holders, as well as our parking capacity at our facility. And normally in any given year, we see single digit growth in our season pass base. But last year we saw a spike of close to 45% increase in our season pass sales for, for, the, for the 2021 ski season. So what we decided to do is, because we usually put that stuff on sale right around today actually, we've delayed or delaying it approximately two weeks so that we can control our capacity for the first two weekends. I can only speak for Pat's Peak, but our business generally falls off exponentially after the second week of March. So what we wanted to try and do is just prevent all of those new season pass holders from cannibalizing our existing day tickets. And we think it'll be, it'll be returning back to normal a little bit. And we thought two weeks was, was an okay was an okay deal. Do you think when you turn that on to sell that you're going to see, what, what are you projecting? Um, you know, are you going to sell with no bottom to it so that there'll be no restrictions on how many you can sell? If, if there's that demand, you'll capture all of it. Again, only speaking for Pat's peak, we're a little guy in amongst a bunch of giants around us. So I think the market is going to return to normal a little bit. There's no way that a 40% increase in sales is going to be sustainable. So I fully expect that market to kind of return back to normal as vaccines rolls out, as, as Tom was alluding to. And, uh, you know, we, we had a, a fantastic year for season passes, but there's, there's just no way that that is going to be sustainable. In New England, and I can only speak again for New Hampshire as well, you know, we're having a net loss of population. So we're facing some serious demographic headwinds. And I don't, and we also had some artificial barriers for uh, the season pass holders that we, we were selling to in that gymnasiums weren't open, gymnastics, trampoline parks, and uh, a lot of other entities that we normally compete with for that discretionary dollar, cruise ships, uh, trips to Florida and stuff like that, that was all shut down. So we really fully expect, and, and I've already made an adjustment in our budget for next year to to see that number return back to norm. And, and you and I did talk a lot about that because I had said that I'd heard from a number of operators that um, they really liked the control on the peak days and that the capacity you know, restrictions had allowed them to see an increased level customer service when they could 
manage out those peak days. Um, but you and I were talking about what you just said, that um, what we can expect next winter, if there is a return to, you know, club sports, when my life turns into that all over the weekends and most moms around here and, and, and that time poverty and that um, discretionary spend goes back to its competitive forces. So um, the one place that you and I were speculating on was the work from home environment could be an interesting piece. I hope it continues the way it is for the work from home because we saw a tremendous increase in our midweek business. Um, but I also, over the years, I've uh, competing, com trying to trying to describe what the marketplace is going to do is awfully tough. And the marketplace is this, it's just this big thing out there and it always kind of returns to normal. And, you know, work from home, as much as I respect it and love it and hope that it continues, uh, you know, ultimately that's going to be the decision makers and the bosses of the respective uh, companies if they want to continue their employees working from home. Uh, I know that when I work from home, I wish I was 100% efficient, but I'm not. And I can only be about 75% efficiency. And whether you can have those numbers uh, work in the long term, that's going to be up to the individuals, to, the individual companies to take over. And another area you said that's been helpful this season has been culling some of those low yield products um, that you had. What, what would be an example of? Well, so one other thing, you know, it was probably a poor nickname that we called it, but we called it draining the swamp. <laughs> and what we wanted to do is get rid of all those low yield products that we possibly could on the weekends. And, you know, it, it, it was everything from donation requests to raising our head tax for races, for competing racers coming in. It was also radio trade, and it was all, it was a lot of uh, like our beginner. We used to do our beginner area. It was free. We had to take the hard policy that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday we were going to have to charge for that beginner area because we had to play. Again, this is a whole thing. You got to play both the short game and the long game this season, and you got to kind of figure out what's going to work and what's going to not. And and if you're at a finite capacity on the weekends, you have to make sure that every one of those slots is earning you the best revenue dollars that you can, while also, again, simultaneously playing the long game of trying not to alienate your marketplace. Thanks so much, um, Chris, for sharing some of that information with us. Um, Dave, who's up next? We are thrilled to be joined by Dave Tragathon, the Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Communications at Mount Hood Meadows in Oregon. Dave, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, you guys did some interesting things this season to help manage capacity using predictive modeling, introducing day part products, uh, and recently unveiling a new midweek spring pass. Some of what happened this season will inform what Mount Hood Meadows approach for uh, will inform Mount Hood Meadows approach for the 2021-22 products. Uh, but you joined us on that huddle that Olivia mentioned earlier uh, back. Oh, gosh, actually, no, it was in November uh, that you joined us for uh, in the fall and described what the plan was uh, for this season with uh, the predictive modeling and such. So I'm looking forward to hearing how it all worked out and among other interesting tidbits you have to share. So, uh, Dave, I'll let you take it away. Thanks, Dave. And I'm thrilled to be here. You know, our uh, season pass for next year goes on sale um, April 1st, and we have a time frame between April 1st and May 31st where our guests renew their passes or can purchase new passes. We actually expect a high renewal rate because of the way that we treated last year's pass holders. We closed like everybody else did around March 15th. We offered everybody a hundred dollar credit for renewing and we extended their renewal deadline all the way to the beginning of November. We did not force anybody to renew early. And, uh, and we had a good renewal rate from last year. And I think we've done a really good job managing our visitation, especially on our peak days, which I'll get into in a moment. But our pricing discussions uh, for, next, uh, uh, for next year begin this week. And Dave shared a presentation with images taken in the seven days prior to this conversation, which took place on March 1st. You can view the presentation at www.saminfo.com slash huddle. So our, our midweek pass is going to replace our spring pass. And today is the very first day that the midweek pass is available, Monday through Friday. We usually start selling a spring pass right after President's weekend. It usually becomes valid around the 10th or 11th of March. But we just don't feel comfortable 
adding more people to our weekend mix until we gauge what our weekend visitation is going to be. So we're offering a midweek pass. And so far, sales have taken off actually pretty darn good there. They're, they're ahead of where our spring pass sales are normally, but uh, that's because of a couple of things. First, we haven't sold a season pass for Mounted Meadow since last November. We actually cut off all access passes, new all access passes before our November 4th uh, renewal deadline. So we weren't adding to the weekend congestion. And also um, then we cut off all pass sales uh, even night pass sales in the November timeframe. So there's a big uh, demand out there for any type of a pass for Meadows. Also, we just received over hundred inches of snow in the last three weeks. So I think that helps too. We are concerned about spring pass disruption. Um, you know, with last year, uh, we put the pass on sale around February 17th. Uh, we had the best pre-sales going that, that we've had in a while. And then uh, the pass became valid March 9th and we shut down March 15th. So in essence, we refunded almost all of our spring pass sales. And now this year, we're not gonna have a spring pass. The midweek pass is one thing, but a spring pass is something else. The concern is that's a gateway product. It's our most popular gateway product to a future value or, or a season purchase. So we, we don't know what to expect. And we also know that we're not gonna have the same opportunity to upsell people when they come up buy a lift ticket on a beautiful spring day. And then at the end of the day say, hey, I want to upsell into the spring pass. And maybe we'll get some of that with the midweekers, but most of our midweek passes are gonna be sold in advance online. The uh, predictive modeling we're talking about and really have to credit our vice president of resort operations, Jeremy Riss. I believe he was on the, the Sam huddle uh, to explain how this was gonna work. And to boil it down, uh, we, we've had RFID gates for several seasons, and he basically broke down the last three seasons, all access passholder behavior, so that we could predict what type of turnout we were going to see this year. Um, and we broke it down for by people at one time. That is our new forecasting metric. That's the main one. And he was incredibly accurate. In fact, we sit in our business anticipation meetings now, and we always refer to the spreadsheet. What does the spreadsheet say? And it's Jeremy's spreadsheet that he put together. Uh, and he's uh, further uh, de developed it and refined it with weather information. So, and, and it's amazingly accurate, not just for all access turnout, but other turnout as well. Um, the other thing that we've been able to do is our value pass has been very successful. And we can't uh, accurately uh, predict the turnout of a value pass holder. So we restrict the 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. timeframes on our peak days. Now, after this first weekend of March, so the second week of March, those value pass holders start becoming valid at nine o'clock in the morning. That's one of the reasons why we're not opening up those weekends yet to spring pass holders. But uh, the predictive modeling forecasting off peak days is more difficult. Off peak powder days can be as busy as peak days. And uh, that's when, you know, you can really test your systems when uh, a Wednesday in December or a Thursday in January or last Wednesday, you have almost as many people churning out as you would on a peak day that you've been able to plan for and limit through this visitation modeling that we've done. Uh, storm cycles preventing upper mountain access contribute to lower mountain congestion. That's factored into the amount of day tickets that we make available. And one thing that we found out was that the uh, 2 to 9 p.m. is the new 9 to 2 p.m., should say. So we are doing almost as many skier visits on days after 2 o'clock as we're doing between 9 and 2. So it's really spread out the visitation throughout the day. And what we're learning is we need to invest more in the night experience and figure out how to get people back to their respective cars and their respective lots at 9 o'clock at night when you have less people and, and um, uh you know, a great need to move a lot of people back uh, to wherever they're parked. Uh, we also see that uh, there's a lot of pressure on our guest services communications team. We had to increase the staffing and we're using the phone a lot more than we have in the past. And there's also more returning credit to stored value for future purchases because we required everybody to purchase their tickets in advance. And we are very uh, good now at, um, at returning that, that purchase for a future uh, use 
if they're not able to make it either because of capacity or weather or whatever the reason may be. So the big question is what sticks? What are we gonna keep doing? Um, we think balancing the all, all access pass sales with the value pass and the night pass sales, even to the point of maybe limiting the amount of all, ac all access pass sales. And our all access pass is basically the value pass, but it adds back in that 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. timeframe on our peak days. Um, reducing or eliminating the advanced sales of the non-date specific tickets. Um, our Costco program was huge. We didn't do it this year. And if we do it in the future, it probably will not be a voucher that is valid any single day. It will probably be either restricted or maybe just for nights or for midweek. Um, advanced purchases of rentals and lessons and tickets will continue. Uh, our web traffic is up 6% this year compared to the same time frame last year. Pages viewed is up 22%. So people were doing deeper dives. The session time was up 20%. And our online revenue actually doubled because we forced people to purchase online in advance. And our conversions are up 139% online because of it. And that's something that we wanna keep doing because we can plan so much better for the arrival. And then day parting, that is a huge winner. Um, we have a ticket on a peak day or on a day that we have night skiing that starts at nine o'clock, at noon, at two o'clock and at five o'clock. So we are much more able to spread out the arrival times of people coming on those peak days. And you know, one last metric to share for you regarding that visitation model forecast, we modeled uh, 3000 people at one time. That's what our model was. Uh, we've received over a hundred inches of snow the last two weeks. In any day part, in one hour day part, in the last two weeks, we've had two hours, we've gone over 3000 people. One of them was 3,064, the other was 3,177. And uh, that comes down from our peak day of 5,200 people on lifts at one time. So wow. it's worked, it's worked really well. Definitely a season where you've learned a, a lot about your business, I think. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> well, thanks so much um, for sharing thanks, that information, appreciate that. Um, we're gonna jump over to Dennis Eshba, who's the president and GM of Holiday Valley in New York. Um, Dennis, your situation, you know, we were interested because um, obviously you're, you're right up on the border and you uh, rely on a, a fair amount of traffic in the past from uh, Canadians. So that impact, um, we want to kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, so let's, let's start with that. So, you know, with the Canadian borders, borders closed and um, capacity was managed a bit for you. Um, but I'm curious when the borders are open um, and you see the demand from this group, how will that be factored into your plans for next season? Um, because you did say you have really enjoyed the man, the capacity management on those peak days and you, that's something you want to carry forward into next season. Well, thanks Olivia. Yeah. It's been a, you know, a winter, like all of us of, of you know, wins and losses. Um, you know, in the, in our case, <clears throat> we've lost the Canadians, which is about 22% of our business, and, and it's virtually zero this year. We also had a, a uh, Ohio state quarantine, two-week requirement, uh, which is normally 31, 32% of our business. Um, somehow, 16% uh, of our skiers this year still got here from Ohio, but huge resets in terms of loss of our normal ski customer. Um, it was backfilled somewhat from Pennsylvania, primarily out of New York State. Um, but also uh, some new customers to ours from the rest of the seaboard, New Jersey, et cetera, that usually wouldn't travel this distance. And, you know, that was everything about this year has been been a surprise. We went into a um, December one, our season's passes were down about 9%. We thought that was pretty remarkable, considering that that 22% uh, of our, well, actually a few more in, in terms of pass holders of our Ontario customers did not have passes. Um, December started and we saw pass sales, late season pass sales that we've never encountered before. Um, our college passes increased 300% in the month of, of, of December. College passes increased the year at 2.25 uh, uh, times of year prior. Um, overall season's passes um, uh, ended up around 40%. Uh, and those are numbers we didn't expect. Well, some of it um, was because of capacity management. It was the only way you could go skiing. 
uh, in our model, you know, we took all of our frequency passes, which range from college to the, the full uh, pass, um, uh, pick a day type of uh, programs, uh, as well as the lodging guests, as well as, of course, the online and the over the uh, counter sales. And we protected basically uh, two groups in that mix. And the two groups that were protected were the frequency uh, and the lodging guests. So, so that forced a significant um, change in how we sold our tickets and how, how customers came here. Um, but the result uh, has been, been really good um, in terms of both revenue and, and uh, right now in, in terms of, of profitability for the company, but you know, the, the year is not over yet. Um, the challenges that I think that, that uh, we face or maybe, maybe what's important, you know, we look at, great successes. A great success last summer was our pools, which have a, a you know a resort pool system, five pools, customers come. It's the smallest piece of our business. And we reduced pool capacity last year by 60%. But our but our we sold two hour, I think they were two hour, maybe they're two and a half hour windows. And we increased revenue in the pool 39%. Uh, we had a similar experience in the tubing company where the tubing pump company will finish probably up uh, somewhere in the area of twice a year prior. Uh, Two-hour windows, much longer duration in terms of the operating, much uh, much better experience whether you go to the pool or the tubing company. And these relatively small pieces of our business actually were what I would call the best models we've ever experienced in how we not only serve the customer but also run the operation. It's been easier on the staff, better experience. So. So those are wins. Um, you know, the losses are that, um, you know, in, in February, uh, our weekend uh, uh, visits, Saturday and Sunday visits, were down 27.2%. Well, congratulations to us because New York State said we had no choice but to be 25% under peak capacity. Um, the good news is the Monday through Friday visits increased 63.2% for a net gain for the month. And, you know, those were just all things that, that I will honestly say we didn't anticipate most of these things. And, and uh, I think our greatest challenge will be what will, what will we do with what we've learned? Um, my takeaways um, this year was less about the price. Uh, the price value relationship was rarely a question with the customer, but I don't believe that that necessarily is going to stay. Um, the uh, we have many customers that became season pass holders because they couldn't buy a day ticket. But because we, we had this reservation or protection, our frequency passes, they bought a season's pass. So that, that was a tremendous reset. Um, unintended consequence of the capacity limit. Um, you know, the change of where our visits came from, night skiing took off this year. Um, was it because the price is significantly lower? Was it because that's when people had time? Was it because maybe those two things, plus the fact it was the only thing you could do in January and February to get outside and be with uh, friends and family? Um, we had 32% of our, our skiers this year told us that they were dropouts of at least one year in the last five. That was a pretty, pretty remarkable number, uh, we thought. Uh, our NPS uh, numbers and, and uh, willingness to return skyrocketed this year. Some of that was good ski conditions. Um, you know, our lowest uh, NPS score was 55. Our highest was 84. Um, we're hoping to end the year around 80%. Um, that's a really good thing, obviously. But, but to me, the, the biggest unknown is yield and yield management. And for those of you that know me, I've talked about this a lot because I don't think as an industry, we've really done very well in that regard. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the poorest region in the country in yield um, uh, has been the Northeast. We've, in 10 years, our yield in the Northeast has only increased 20.4%, uh, a little over 2% a year. Uh, pretty, pretty bleak. Uh, the RRC numbers are you know, 40, uh, 40, let's see, I got my glasses on, $43 flat. Now, winners in yield are the extra large ski areas in the country, 
Um, Rocky Mountain, I think, is second best. They've increased 66% in that, that period. But the real winner is the Pacific Southwest, who've gained 82.1% in those 10 years, which is a model where we all should, should be. But then I think the yield management is really something that I worry about in our business. I worry about in the East. Um, overall, um, you know, the yield ratio is not particularly good. It's dropped to about 43%. And, and the, the winner in yield uh, ratio actually is the Southeast. You know, they're running over 60%. And my concern with that, um, you know, I'll go back to what I said about winners and losers. Uh, if we create... Um, this, this ticket yield ratio where we have a, a high end, a walk-in across the you know, over-the-counter ticket that is so unaffordable to many of the dilettantes that they will rarely come, eventually we lose them and we lose that base. And, and I heard that number of 75% of our skiers uh, uh, skiing four times. And, and uh, I think that's, that's a good number. So how do we keep those people? Thankfully, parts of the country like the, uh, the South are doing pretty well. Um, but how do we keep those people engaged uh, in skiing? And that's, that's the greatest challenge at Holiday Valley, I believe, right now, is how do we take the wins from this year, make sure all those people that are here for the first time in five years and, and uh, um, make them engaged. And when they do have to go back to, to uh, um, you know, the, the scholastic sports, et cetera, and family lives change, how do we make sure skiing is still at the top? Uh, and welcome back for those Ohio and Ontario visits. Um, if we do it, we'll be successful for years to come. If we fail, um, I'll be disappointed in us. <laughs> we don't want your disappointment. <laughs> yeah. And that is the golden question right there is we, we have uh, some really strong data and wins out of the season, things we've learned and, and just the, the question of whether we can sustain that momentum in some of these areas that we've encountered. And, and uh, so we will be digging into that. Um, thanks so much, Dennis, for sharing that information. I appreciate your insights are always very valuable. Yeah. Thank you, Dennis. All right. Up next, we are thrilled to be joined by someone very famous, our cover girl from the January issue of Sam. <laughs> Aspen Skiing Company, Company Senior Vice President of Mountain Operations, Katie Ertle. Katie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you all. I, I, uh, I am excited to be here. And while ticket and product sales and services is not my specialty, I do sit in a lot of our revenue management meetings and have worked with our teams to get some answers. So uh, first question was, have you started selling season passes for next year? We actually have not. We are discussing the option of selling the Premier Pass starting uh, in early April, but we typically don't have a spring sale in Aspen Snowmass. We do offer early bird pricing starting in August and work through the process of, of ramping that up as we get closer to Christmas. So we are actually having that conversation right now. Um, we're, we're really, what's very interesting about this year uh, in looking at some of the comments made about restricting capacity in those pieces, we looked at, we took our um, premier pass and really bumped the price to try and discourage the volume of premier passes that were sold. To address the local community and our, uh, our loyal local customers, we created, we worked with the Forest Service to create a Valley Pass. Um, this is a one-year only opportunity. So we had the Valley seven-day pass and a Valley weekday pass. I think someone else spoke about weekday passes. So those went through the roof. Everyone really enjoyed that product. And we actually um, dropped, saw a drop in our Premier Pass numbers and an increase, obviously a huge increase, it took us um, beyond where we'd sold last year, both in volume and revenue with that Valley Pass. So I think our big hurdle this spring as we talk through looking at next year will be how do we shift our locals back into a product that works for them? Because that was, again, a one-time opportunity with our forest service. Um, it was more geographically fenced, which is not really allowable, right? Um, and. Uh, and, and we also looked at the Icon Pass, which is popular here in Aspen Snowmass, and we capped it this year. So we had a cap of 3,000 per day, and we actually have not hit that cap. So uh, basically right now, even on weekends, we're not hitting that cap. And if we do, we'll probably just bump right above it and allow folks to come in. Um, we worked with SE Group this year to look at how we could manage our lift lines 
and our base areas to allow for social distancing and all of the pieces that come with COVID. Um, and we looked at what our total cap for the four mountains would be. And we have had two days where we've hit a cap of 16,000 skier days. So we've been sitting just below that or uh, well below that. So we're feeling quite comfortable with that piece. Um, we've seen a lot of our international visits drop uh, as many other destination resorts likely have. And what we've seen a big drive-in market come in. So our weekends are really bumping up. We're getting that, instead of having that Saturday through Thursday, Saturday through Friday level uh, with the destination visitor, we're actually seeing weekend bumps. So Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays are really popping right now. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, we also looked at in regards to capacity, I think someone else mentioned day parting. I didn't know that term before today, but we took a look at our AVSC, our Aspen Valley Ski and Snowboard Club passes and our school passes. And we looked at blocking them until a certain time for the day. So those passes over holidays and weekends start at 11 a.m. And that's helped us manage our capacity at bases during the um, early mornings. Uh, we've really seen a pop in our advanced sales and we've seen a real pop in a real, I think a, a real nice usage of our automated systems. So we've put in automated kiosks so that you can use your QR code that's sent to you on email and get your ticket in resort without having to go into the ticket office. That's gonna be a very nice pivot for us in that process. Um, just to throw a few numbers, overall premier pass sales were down, but our um, pass sales for the season were up by about 7% over last year. So is that in units? Uh, Katie? Uh, that's in units, Sarah. Yes, that's in units. Um, let's see, what other questions did you have? Sorry, David. I'm not the no worries person. at all. Um, oh, what surprised actually... us this season? Yeah. Good or bad. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, good or bad, exactly. Yeah, I think what surprised us is, is similar to some of the previous comments about people working from home is that when we had that powder day on a Wednesday or a Thursday, the whole world came out at us. And, uh, and normally we would see that on the Saturdays and Sundays with our local community, but because they're working at home and because their kids are on a more flexible schedule, they can drop everything they're doing and get out and ski and ride. Um, I think what also surprised us is the amount of uphilling. We are a resort that allows for uphilling and we have seen our numbers go through the roof and increased by hundreds of percentages. So we literally, for an example on buttermilk, this last weekend, we saw six to 800 uphillers per day heading up the hill. Do you charge them? Uh, no, no, not yet. <laughs> so we're working through that conversation and where that we're finding the biggest impacts are in um, parking. And then uh, they're, they're all behaving well and sticking to designated trails, but we're using facilities and things of that nature. So we are working through the conversation about pass pricing um, and, and working through that with our revenue uh, piece as well. We're looking at creating more designated trails so we can really control that. So that was a big surprise for us. And then uh, let's see, um, I think the, the other big surprise for us was the back and forth around the comments that we get in our NPS and our customer insight surveys about <laughs> um, we don't have enough mass control and we have too much mass control. There is constant fight going on between those two parties. So that was a big surprise to us. So um, yeah, we're looking fat forward to that. And then and for your summer business, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this one question. Yeah. You, you, you know, we, we took summer ops camp there. We saw your lost forest, you know, you do a phenomenal job with, with the snow mass and the whole summer ops park there, but you naturally have, you know, what is it? How many millions come through there just for summer tourism? So what are your projections for ticket sales this summer with pandemic still kind of floating around there? That is a great question. So last summer we had, Quite frankly, our in operations our best summer ever. Believe it or not, we 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 did not we were surprised by that. So volume and revenue we we exceeded year over year. Uh, this year we thought immediately, immediately you think oh everyone's going to go gangbusters everyone's going to get out for summer it's you can do everything outside. 
but the reality is we have other operations that are now open that were not open last summer. So a lot of our day camps and um, kids camps and, and pools and all of those pieces around um, what people can do in the summer were restricted or closed and for operations. So because we were open, I feel that may have been a reason we got so much volume and so much visitation. Uh, we're, we're looking positively at our summer projections. I think mountain biking is, 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 a, is a, our park is getting to a place that people are coming to visit as a destination resort. Our lost forest, we're gonna open up the canopy tour and the kids activities that we did not have open last year. So I think we will see some good volume in there uh, relative, but we are struggling through that budget conversation right now to determine, do we hold flat? Do we project higher? And, and, and the conversation is around what other operations will be open for next year, for next summer. All right, covered a lot of ground. Thank you, Katie, that was great. <laughs> Thank you, sorry to run through it so fast. No, no, not at all. And um, we have one um, final operator we're gonna check in with here. BL, I, you know, you and I talked and, and I have just a couple of questions for you. Um, you know, you, so this is BL Holding House, who's a VP of Guest Services at Monarch Mountain in Colorado. Um, and you guys had some interesting, um, your normal renewal rate for your passes, um, you said is 90%. Um, but that wasn't the case um, when you uh, went to renew your passes for this season we just had. Um, can you explain that circumstance and, and, and then that you started your new pass now, your spring pass, and whether any of that kind of history is playing out into your season passes now? Yeah, I think that uh, a big part of it, um, you know, we were down at about 55% uh, normal renewal rate, um, but part of that is also skewed some of our past products, um, particularly military, um, as we're close to Fort Carson in Colorado Springs is a big market for us. Um, and also uh, some of those uh, the school passes that we offer are listed below our renewal rate. Um, so a lot of those people ended up purchasing again, also military, of course, um, we do get a little bit more turnover there. Um, so overall this year, actually our past sales ended up about 25% up from last year. And that's split about 50-50 um, between renewal passes and new purchases. So we had an uh, absolutely huge increase in new pass holders. Um, this year we saw a lot of uh, people coming over from uh, Epic Pass in particular, people trying to avoid the bigger um, resorts this year, trying to avoid the I-70 drive. Um, so that was a, a huge market for us. Um, and then we also um, just have had a lot of people moving into the area. Um, a lot of people came down the housing market down in Salida um, this summer went absolutely gangbusters because of uh, people moving from Denver, um, being able to work remotely. Um, you know, a lot more people are were getting out of the city this summer. Um, so we definitely saw a lot of um, new people coming in. And so, yeah, overall past sales are up about 25%. Um, we just launched a couple weeks ago on the 19th of February, uh, we launched our Wings Pass, uh, which this is the fourth year that we've done it. Um, and that's really been huge for us. So our Wings Pass is ski the entire remainder of this season and all of next season, um, which is our only pass product we're offering right now for next season. Um, and right now we're up 135% um, over February last year on that. Um, so that's been going absolutely huge. And you, and you did an interesting thing about why that was related to yeah. that scene, which was tied into what Tom said at the start of the call. Yeah, so we think that a lot of our people who didn't renew, um, there's just a lot of uncertainty around the season. Um, so we did, definitely got a lot of people who just weren't sure they didn't want to invest their money early in their pass. Um, and so when... And since we've been doing this Wings Pass for several years, we have a ton of calls early on with, are you guys going to be doing the Wings Pass this coming year? Um, of course, we told them all we weren't sure because we weren't didn't know what the spring was going to look like. We didn't know what capacity issues were um, going to be um, come springtime. But now that we've launched, it's been huge. A ton of people had confidence that we were going to do it. Um, consumer confidence in next season it seems to be through the roof. 
Um, so again, that's been a huge product for us. We know a lot of people um, are just spring skiers. Um, so a lot of our spring skiers will purchase that pass, ski on it for two seasons, you know, wait out the, the majority of the winter and then purchase it again in two years. And can you tell whether the surge in buying has anything to do with vaccine rollout and, and what Tom said about boomers are kind of feeling a little more comfortable to, to get out this spring um, having had the vaccine? Um, there, there definitely has been that. I mean, uh, you know, Chafee County that we're in has been, um, I think, doing really remarkably with vaccinations. Um, we're definitely seeing um, a lot of our older pass holders who we're definitely holding off early in the um, ski season, wanting to stay away. We're definitely seeing a big increase in um, that visitation. Uh, Midweek visitation has been absolutely huge for us. Um, of course, we've been selling out uh, for day tickets almost every weekend. Um, and we've been selling out weeks in advance, um, which has pushed Fridays and Mondays to become really, really big for us. Nice. Um, midweeks, we're certainly not seeing our our typical Saturday numbers, of course, midweek, but we are um, almost double uh, midweek skier visits from what we've been traditionally in the past. This winter season has been a whirlwind of ups and downs and it's not over yet. To be a part of future Huddle Conversations, stay tuned to www.saminfo.com and join us on March 15th for our Tech Huddle. We'll be reflecting back on the season's upgrades and looking towards the future of tech in the mountain resort industry. This conversation is supported by Aspenware, Axis, and Flake. Register at www.saminfo.com huddle. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSam advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Winter Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to PodSam. You're muted, my friend. What, you can't read lips? <laughs> <laughs>